Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. All right. Shabbat shalom, everyone. I'm glad all of you guys are here today. And for our online guests and those joining us um, via the, through YouTube, the Internet, welcome and welcome and to be part of our family here at livingmessiah.com uh, is our website there you'll find a donate button if your heart moves you we thank you for all who do give uh, to this ministry and a thumbs up is always nice as well too so um, let me open in prayer Father Yahweh, great and mighty you are there is none like you Father we thank you for your faithfulness to your words and Father, we thank you for you sharing yourself with us, revealing who you are uh, for us, Father, and setting those boundaries for us in life. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the redemption we find in your son, Yahshua, your very words that became flesh and dwelt among men. Uh, Father, thank you for that. Empower us with your spirit today, Father, as we look into the, your words and the words of your son and the words of those who uh, diligently followed after you, Father, here in the very beginning, right after the resurrection of your son, Yahshua. Father, thank you again. Amen. All right. And, and as you guys, that normal reminder, um, your comments and questions, let's uh, stick to what we're talking about in the text. That really helps. That way we all can learn together. Uh, make sure that you bring that mic close to your mouth so it comes through clear, not only for those here, but those online as well. So, and the point is, this is, uh, it's a Bible study. It's a study in the scriptures. So I think today, hopefully, I, I'll, get, I'll get you guys involved. And let me preface this, that uh, if, if I can, because um, I have a lot of, Maybe questions I do kind of want to ask and bring out. So how do I say this? I'll just say it. Instead of just like, oh, I got that type of just right off the cuff. Think about it first. Because I, I, in my, this week, I thought a lot about how much, I'm, I'm going to use myself an example. I know we've all come out of Christianity for the most part, and we all say, oh, Torah, Torah, Torah. But, you know, the thing is, if we're honest, we tend to bring some of those ideas and just rewrap it again. And what, what I think we need to do, obviously is go deeper with our Messiah, go deeper with our Father, understanding these principles much deeper, instead of just, you know, answering, uh, answering from what you learned from in the past, which maybe you just heard from the past, and you never really asked, what does that mean? Okay? 
Because I'm sure I'm not the only one that sits now reading my scriptures and sits back and say, what does that mean? What does that honestly mean? All right, without the preacher in the background giving you that answer, reading it from somewhere, what does it mean? And ultimately, what is the Father trying to convey? What are these apostles trying to convey to us? Because this is the God of the universe. He is unique. He is so unique compared to all the other ideas and philosophies that are out there. And we'll get to that point today because that's one of the major things I want to us to like analyze so with that being the the review so to speak uh we talked about last week a lot uh the division that the word of god the word of elohim divides it rightly divides so you have to understand you don't want to make you don't want it to be dividing and thinking you're dividing it correctly when it turns out that, no, you didn't do your right, you didn't do your division correctly. You're actually on the wrong side of the sword, okay? So that was somewhat what we talked about before. But for a review, what I'm going to do, I'm going to begin at chapter, uh, we're in 17. We went all through this, but I'm just going to read through it to where we left off. Because that, that will just give us a flavor, kind of put things together, because I know doing little bits at a time sometimes you know the story might get a little handicapped like oh what was that when or where so it'll be a nice flow okay to what we what i want to get to today in our text okay so and i'll let you know when we get to that point it won't be that long here and having passed through um amphitheos uh and uh what is it apollonia they came to Thess Thessaloniki, uh, where there was a congregation of the Udim. And the congregation of the Udim is the synagogue of where the Jews would gather. You are all familiar with that. And according to his practice, this being Saul, Saul went into them, and for three Sabbaths was reasoning with them from where? The scriptures, the only scriptures that they had at the time explaining and pointing out that the Messiah had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this is the Messiah, Yeshua, whom I proclaim to you. And some of them did believe, and a large number of worshiping Greeks and also a few of the leading women joined Shaul or Paul and Silas. But the Eudim who did not believe, having become envious, took some of the wicked men from the marketplace and gathered a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and came upon the house of Jason, and were seeking to bring them out to the people. Now, I'm not going to stop here because we went through all this before, okay? But not finding them, they dragged, uh, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers into the city rulers, uh, crying out, they who have turned the world upside down have come here too, all right? Whom Jason also received, and all the men are acting contrary to the dogmas of not Elohim, but Caesar, saying, there is another sovereign, Yahshua. There's another king other than Caesar. That will get the Romans' attention. And they troubled the crowd and the city rulers uh, um, when they heard this. And, they, um, and when they had received a pledge from Jason, maybe a little bribe or whatever, a payoff, Jason and the rest, uh, they let them go. 
And the brothers immediately sent Saul and Silas by the way of night to Beoria, uh, uh, who, having come, went into the congregation of the Udim. See this practice? Paul has always gone to what? A synagogue when he comes to a new town. He hasn't established any new churches as we know it to this point. Now, these were more noble than those of uh, uh, Thessaloniki who received the word with great eagerness and searched the scriptures daily if these words were so. So they were different. They were like, okay, whatever you're saying, Paul, we're going to look to our scriptures to let us know. The other group that he came from, it was pretty much, uh, well, you seem to go against our, you know, our tradition, so we, gotta, uh, we can't have that. Then many of them truly believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, uh, decent women as well as men. And here is where we'll begin today. And when the Eudim from Thessaloniki, okay, came to know that the word of Elohim was being proclaimed by Saul, this Saul, guys, He's taken this whatever, this word of God over here. We got to go get him. Think about that. Was being proclaimed by Saul at uh, Beoria. They came there also to stir up the crowd. So it wasn't enough for them in their own hometown to do whatever they're doing. They're going to follow him around, Paul and Silas, because they just didn't absolutely agree. You can't go to another synagogue and make people believe this either. We're going to make sure that we get there and get rid of you because, I don't know, I might be, I'm theorizing, you know, human nature, what might be going on. And then, immediately, the brother sent Saul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy stayed there. And those who arranged for Saul or Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible when they departed. But while Saul was there waiting for, uh, for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred up within him when he saw that the city was utterly adulterous. So this is where I want to begin. Utterly adulterous. This is Paul saying this. Okay, he's being, the various translations say he's being distressed within. He was provoked in his spirit you know, to make, uh, ultimately the Greek word here is to make sharp. Sharpen to stimulate, so to speak. The spurn, the spirit urged him, I guess. Irritated him or provoked him, aroused him within. Something, however you want to describe it, Paul was uncomfortable, saw something. But my question in here with Paul. Paul seeing all these idols, right? And he's going, oh, my spirit within me. Oh, can't stand them or whatever it might be. But this is Paul. Why is this new 
to Paul. He's been part of the Greek world. He grew up in a city of a university of Greek thought. Surely Paul's been around idols and seen plenty of them, right? So what's, all of a sudden, what's the big deal with Paul? Anybody have any kind of insight? Because think about it, seriously. He's been around. He's been in the world. He's not new to anything. And all of a sudden, he has this spiritual awakening to idols, and all of a sudden, it bothers him. Go ahead. You see, I think that being in this new belief, it kind of um, made it seem unusual to him that this city was idolatrous, whereas before it may have not been so unusual to him. Ooh, I like that. I think that's an excellent insight there. I'm going to take that and I'll maybe bring that to us. Okay. Uh, many of you, however you became born again, got in the church, or even to this, uh, walking this walk with your Messiah and your God, your Creator differently, right? Do you find that as you get closer, things that normally didn't bother you that much, now it's like, wow, that is truly appalling, where maybe five, ten years ago, you're like, eh, you know, it wasn't your cup of tea, but it didn't bother you that much, right? Is that a possibility, maybe, with Paul happening with him? Does that happen with you guys? Any of you can think maybe two years ago something that you did, but now it's like, whoa, I absolutely cannot do that. That is, I used to run with that crowd, right? Just reflecting on this week of repentance, the things that I used to just shrug off like, oh, it's no big deal, have been a piercing in my heart this week. So, um, for example, um, some of the things that have been going on between me and a family member, I used to think I was in the right, um, but now reflecting upon Yah's word and uh, the preciseness of following his directions, I realized that maybe I did some things um, that were contrary to his word. Wow. I want to hear some more. That's how we're, honestly, because in some ways, I, a couple of weeks ago, how we were talking about the word divides, the word of Elohim divides. So we should, we should expect that. So maybe that's one way of looking where Paul, the apostle, called by the Messiah and his vision, been around idols, familiar with the world and its philosophies, but things are changing within him. And I think that has to change in all of us, a continual change, you know? Because I'm one, and it's like... Year, ten years ago, some things, it's like, oh, that's worldly or whatever. It didn't bother me. Now, it's like, oh, 
No, that really is disgusting. You know, it gets deeper. It gets almost personal sometimes. You know, how dare they even think that? Hmm. You said... uh, Sorry, Polly, did you have your hand up too? Okay, we'll get right, right there. You said two years ago... I had all these idols too. There, I had a whole closet full of them. I did everything you could think of. I didn't even believe in. I didn't even believe in God. So it's a whole different ball game now compared to what it used to be. So things are changing for you, right? Completely changing. Yeah, in every way. That's excellent, Polly. I think it's a possibility that not only did he see, perhaps. Uh, material idols, but he saw men that were placed in a position of idols. And I only say this because I have been looking into the Hellenistic origins of origins of Socrates, Plato, and what they had embedded into this Greek culture, because then it goes on to talk about the Stoic and the Epicureans. So I think he may have come across a whole philosophy that was being Basically, it, it was an idol. And mm-hmm. I think he may have even saw this affecting those in the synagogue. No, and no, I, I'm glad you brought up that thing about the synagogue, because that's where he first went to. And then we're going to see as this progresses, maybe start adding some of that ideas in there where, yes, I do believe Paul's paradigm in thinking He was a religious man, there's no doubt about it, but things are changing. Not just because he's getting older, but maybe because of the encounter with the Messiah. I would say that's part of it too. Not the same old, same old, same old. We're Jews, we do it this way, the world does it that way. Everybody's happy, right? But... As much as I'd like it to stay that way, it's not going to. Because I think I mentioned last week, they're not going to leave us alone. So we've got to be secure. We've got to be confident in our God, and we've got to be strengthened by his words and that resolve that he is and there is no other. And maybe that's what's happening with Paul more and more. Seeing the evil for what it is, calling it out. I've been around it, but... No, I'm not going to go there. And is, where's the time that I do reach out and help and when there's times that you just let that battle go on because you're not called to that one? These things I juggle all day. Um, Joe. I was thinking about when our Heavenly Father called Paul as a chosen vessel going back to when he was persecuting the, the Christians and uh, when he became blind and after when the Heavenly Father said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That phase, why? Why? And I think that uh, when this here, what we're talking about now, that the, the, his spirit was stirred up within him. No doubt he was uh, thinking about his own past. And as he grew spiritually through the 
weeks, months, years, he could see the dif difference between what was going on then and what is going on now. So he was drawing, I think, some of his past experience to testify to these other unbelievers that I think Paul experienced at first hand. He knew. Now, I, I would add sense that it always was there, but now he's seeing it differently. Because seriously, all of us, the same old, same old has been going on in one way or another, right? It's just now you're changing, so you see it differently than you normally did. And I think anyone who grows in the Creator, that happens, right? Um, Kamarion or Jake? Yeah, I, I only had to, I felt like I had to say that I don't support Paul or any of his writings. Me and, me and our Kohen don't support Paul or any of his writings. I encourage everyone to go look up, and there's evidence that shows that Paul is not, he's, he's, he's not like, we just, we just don't, like there's evidence that basically he's just, there, there's, it, he goes against Hebrew culture in the Torah. It doesn't, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not a line. It's not an alignment, and he, go, he goes against the Torah. And so that's what, that's what me and our Kohen believe. So we don't support Paul. Yeah, well, I, I, obviously I firmly disagree with that because I see Paul, uh, he, in all his writings, none of that in my, I don't know, how long has it been? 25 years that I see any indication of that. Now, um, and you'll have to share with me where you're getting some of that at, and I'd like to see, obviously, uh, where Paul doesn't fit um, that, um, Paul doesn't line up to who he says he is, because I know there's been a lot of people out there, uh, and I think it goes back a lot, maybe, where Peter even said, you know, Paul's very hard to understand. And the one thing is I do find that a lot of the criticism against Paul that's there, those who criticize Paul have no idea about pharisaic argument or any of the in-depth writings, so they can't even really comment. They just throw stones at something that they don't completely understand there and how Paul forms an argument, you know, in, in that sense. Um, but we can... You know, share. I'd like to see uh, some of your information, but thank you, brother, for your, your input. Because what we'll find is coming up here real soon, because of Paul's education, he does quote. I'm just going to tell you right now, as we get further here, you'll see that Paul, he's not talking to his Jewish brethren anymore. We're going to find him in a marketplace talking with the secular world, philosophers, okay? And actually it mentions two major Greek uh, thinking, think tanks, so to speak. And I'm not going to go into much about what they thought, this side or that side, maybe just basics. But the overall, Paul is going to come in contact with the, the people who are spiritual, okay? And you'll find that he doesn't use Scripture, which is weird. Why not? Why wouldn't he use the Bible? Well, seriously, you talk to many of the people out here that, you know, 
have no clue who the God of Israel is, how do you communicate to them? You slam them down with a bunch of religious lingo that makes no sense whatsoever to them? Or do you meet them where they at and some of the basics ideas that they know? And you work from there. You see what I'm saying? That, to me, is very more powerful. Know who you're talking to. You know? I mean, there's plenty of uh, believers that do just that. They really scream a lot of things to the secular world, and it does not profit. So, but let's get, we'll get into some of this here, and this is some of the thought processes. It, yes, Joe. Uh, Ralphie, to continue what you're saying about that, he meant the people where they were, and he uh, no doubt he used his own past experience to, uh, to uh, portray what the Heavenly Father did. And uh, he didn't get on to him, and you guys are wrong, or everything else like that. But he spoke to him in a sensible, mature manner where he met them where they were. And uh, so that's what we should do when we witness. Don't uh, be down on the person that we're talking to, but meet them where they are. Yeah. And then lead them to whatever. No, and, 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 and I do want to say this. I'm not saying study all these philosophies. Study all what, the, what all these other gods are. That's not, like, don't get me wrong on that. Okay? But there's plenty of things in our secular world that you're quite aware of without digging deep into whatever. Okay, because you'll see Paul will co quote um, various parts of poetry that is common to all men, believers and unbelievers. That's what I'm talking about. Because, you know, so anyhow, let's uh, continue on here. Therefore, indeed, he was reasoning with the, the congregation with the Udim. This is kind of weird here. And with the Gentile worshipers, that would be those called out of the nations. And I would say these Gentile worshipers would be those who were part of Judaism who were not Jewish. But they already had a background and worshiped the God of Israel. Okay, so this isn't your run-of-the-mill Gentile like maybe most of us would understand, the secular world. Okay? And that's where I think sometimes, at least for me, I see where that could get confusing. And maybe I'm understanding it incorrectly, but it seems like the way I'm reasoning through this is like, wow, this makes a lot of sense. Especially going back, Paul going to congregations. He wasn't out establishing these new, brand new churches with a whole new doctrine. He was going to his brothers and sisters who knew the background, the same as Yeshua, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who did he go to? Did he go to the world? No. He went to those who should be aware of who he was for them to be the witness to go out to those who have no clue. Okay? Now, that's not to say that Messiah didn't run into a person here or there that had no clue about the God of Israel. That's not what I'm saying. But in general, even Scripture itself chose a small remnant of people for the Father to reveal himself through for the whole world to see. 
The father did his due diligence, and now it becomes those who are part of covenant and are following after to do your part, to witness to what an awesome God that there is. Beyond philosophies, beyond anything that man can come up with, man, we got a lot to do. <laughs> that's a heavy weight, and by that's kavod. Glorious, heavy, because his name is heavy. His character is heavy. So if we're to bear that, then we better take it seriously and work at it. At least work at it, right? Anyhow, therefore, indeed, he was reasoning in the congregation with the Udim, that would be the synagogues, and, uh, and with the Gentile worshipers, and the marketplace daily. So he was then going to the marketplace there, all who met there. This is the first that I can find in the book of Acts that Paul truly, clearly talked to Gentiles that did not know the Messiah, not, uh, not those followers of the nations part of the synagogue, but truly those who had no clue who the God of Israel is. And this was in this Greek marketplace. Now, here we get these two, and I'm, I know I'm going to mess up their names, but bear with me. And some of the uh, ep Epicurean in the uh, Stochic philosophers. So here we go. These are the two big ones, as I understand little research I was doing they encountered him and some were saying what does this babbler wish to say others said he seems to be a proclaimer of a strange mighty one a different God than we know he has a new one for us you know right at least that's the way it sounded to us because it sure doesn't match Obviously, they would have picked up if it matched one of their deities or one of their philosophies. And some were saying, what does this babbler say? Others said, it seems to be a proclaimer of these strange mighty ones or these, some other strange god. Because to them, he thought the good news, uh, to them, he brought the good news, Yeshua, and the resurrection. So he was talking about there was this man who died and he resurrected. And again, to me, this is ultimately a clear place that Paul is talking with different peoples other than those who were Jews or followers of the God of Israel. So ultimately, he's now talking these philosophers, another way to put this, I, in, at least in my terms, the ideas of men, right? Because that really all philosophy is to me as far as I understand it, and I'm not like some big guru telling me on it, but in the simplest form, I'm just comparing this is the creator of the universe and everything else must be a combination of what man seems to be what it is, man's idea. You know, the inklings of his heart, his ideas, you know. I'm my own God eventually. And 
Oh, all kinds of things are there. So these are those ultimately who do not know anything about Moses or the Hebrew scriptures. We would consider them maybe pagans or the secular world as it is. Those who don't go to church and don't know about God and maybe don't care. Now these two branches of philosophy The one, and I'm not going to tell you which one, because it's not that big of a deal, but you're going to sound very familiar. One of them, they decide, they, they denied an all-powerful being, okay? So they didn't see that uh, they had this idea that the universe was created spontaneously starting to sound familiar you know it just came to be okay the fact that they had no regard for the uh, this particular group did not care about the greek gods they were greeks themselves and they thought these ideas that their brother greeks worshiping these god were petty and kind of worthless and why are you doing all that because really their idea but they did have contempt against them but their idea was it's like do what feels right you know it's about pleasure you know if you want to be something that you're not just think it you are it right I'm probably severely simplifying that, but what we see out in the world from these two mindsets, philosophies, we see a blend of all that going on right now today. So in short, what Paul's encountering is no different the same humanity that we encounter daily or see on our TV daily. Okay, Joe. Another thing I was thinking when Paul was addressing to these people who call him a blabber, that Paul did not bring him, uh, did not uh, proclaim himself. He could have said, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was educated by the great philosopher Damascus. He didn't do that. Everything was objectively pointing to the Father. And uh, when his uh, a procedure, how he addressed these people, no doubt that he created some curiosity in them, and so he was further to capitalize on on that. Yeah. No. And no, I agree. He didn't have to say anything about the Pharisee that he was or Hebrew, because none of that meant anything to these people. But later on, he does use things that actually raises their eyebrow or connects with them so he wasn't just some stupid joe either but he was clever to know when whoever you're talking to you know and what it meant and the weight on what you're discussing you know that's why he didn't mention that he was a hebrew hebrew and they're like hmm, whatever that is you know it means nothing to them this other group here that is noted here 
they didn't believe that the soul was like flesh and blood. It was interesting. Let me go through here. In a sense, they thought morality was meaningless and a needless burden. Oh, this is part of that one group. So it, it was strange, and they're even associated with the first anarchist because it's pretty much just whatever you feel at the time you do, right? Yes. My comment is because I have been studying another subject that brought me into a, this rabbit trail of Greek philosophy. And so I've mentioned the names of Aristotle, Socrates, and Plato because they are all students of the same school of thought, the same thought, okay? Mm -hmm. So they are just students of another, which also later along comes along the philosopher of Zeno, who's in that same school of thought, who, um, who's the, who establishes uh, Stoics, okay? They believe just that, the, like you're mentioning, this higher moral power is all that we need to achieve. You said the Stoics, the one here? Yes, yeah, Socrates, Plato, and um, Aristotle. And now comes Zeno, who they're all students of the same, feel, same thought, okay? Zeno establishes Stoics, which believe that's kind of where we get that it's better not to marry a woman or the idea of a man abstaining. It's kind of where... The Catholic Church has celibacy that is birthed from that thought that a man can achieve a higher purity absent from a woman. That comes from that school of thought. So he's coming into this hotbed of different schools. So the other two you mentioned were um, Epicureans who are a different school of thought. They come from a school of, I think his name is Epicurea, Epicurus. Mm -hmm. And his thought is that gods exist, but they have no interaction with humans. Humans yeah. do their own thing. You don't need to worry about what you do is going to have an effect in the afterlife of blessings or curses or rewards. That has nothing to do with humans. You live your life. You do good things because you don't want to live a life with guilt. But there's no resurrection, there's no afterlife. So you can see in some of this that he's saying, he's coming against the thought of, and you'll read it on a little bit later, where resurrection comes into the conversation, because this school of thought doesn't even see that. Yeah, they're like the Sadducees. There's no resurrection. Yeah, there's no resurrection. That's why I say some of this we see has melded into Judaism and yes. what you're mentioning about this philosophy bled out from here. The other school you're mentioning is, um, let me see if I can see it. Well, it's Stoics, and I already mentioned that, so. You know, he's coming into a hotbed of all these different people that are thinking now, wait, what are you saying to us now? Yeah. No, it, and it's, it's, you do have to understand some of the background that's going here and who he's talking to. Thank you, Polly. This other group, uh, it seems like they believe God was a force. And they were more to... Uh, God's in nature, that type of idea. And we see some of that even today in one way or another. Paul. I'll do the best I can to set the stage. So imagine going to Louisiana or New Orleans. Now, 
go to New Orleans during carnival or a festival, what you see there would be somewhat different than what you see every day. So the marketplace uh, in the Agoria, the, in, in a lot of the Near East, Middle Eastern areas where it would be where you would find not only markets for good things for exchange, kind of like a modern day Facebook, except in person, very real, all different schools of thought, lines of thought, and if it was doing a religious festival season, this is where there would be even more idolatry that would be apparent because the travelers and people would come with their idols and their gods and so on. Philosophers would gather there, they would have lines of thought, schools of thought, and everything else. So this would be a hubbub of exchange. It would be like somewhat different than in the congregation. So Paul's exposure to this would be very different than if you're just going off season or doing another time of year. So yeah, there would be that shock and awe, okay, this is really terrible, this is bad. And then the schools of thought that you and Polly mentioned, there was so many different schools of thought and learning and what you might call enlightenment was elevated and thought of as something that's very important. So people would gather there. Mostly the wealthy would gather there. The wealthy men and women would gather there, and they would attend these places, even in the marketplace, for this so-called enlightenment. So this is where Paul is now speaking. No, thank you, Paul, because that does, it puts a... Interesting perspective on seeing what's going on. You know, all of a sudden Paul's dropped in the Burning Man Festival and like, you know, there's all these ideas, all these different ways of thinking and he's, it's all here. But what's so interesting, like Polly was mentioning and Paul mentioned too, is these philosophies of old, let's say, okay, they're not really that old because they, essentially these are the human philosophies uh, that morphed and became, and they're all over the place even today in one way or another, you know, uh, bits and pieces and remixed for another idea. That's why sometimes I think, for me, it was like, well, you know, we would maybe have this idea. One of them would be, you know, I mentioned before, is this, you know, I'm spiritual. You know, and at the end of the day, what does that mean? You know, well, they'll go into this and crystals and, and all over the place, and there's ultimately no substance in these philosophies of men. You know, one, even you think through it, this last group, this stock, uh, stock uh, if I read right, when you reach a point where you can't learn anymore, or you're not entertained with all that thought anymore, the ultimate conclusion is kill yourself because you've reached, there's nothing more here for you. Now that's scary. And that's actually the, one of the leaders who started that. He actually did kill himself, the founder of that philosophy. Why would you start just the reasonable thinking? Why would you follow after someone whose philosophy ultimately says that? I, I, I'm puzzled. You know, I'm, I'm glad I'm puzzled because I don't want to understand some of this crap, to be honest with you. 
but we have to know that it's there, all right? And that's why we have to know our scriptures and we have to know our scriptures and those words that he's given us, why they are so unique to the whole world. Yes, uh, you know, in, in my viewing, I watch various uh, theologians and it's amazing how much some of these Christian theologians, there's philosophy that they're using there. And I'm not saying it's not wrong to think through things, but... Man, you've got to go back to the foundation and understand the foundation of what he said because what, what our Creator has given us, again, I can't overstate it, it's so uniquely different from anything. Okay? And that doesn't mean there might be small, not small, very truths found in some of these things because truth is truth. And if man's searching, you're bound to run into truth. You, you, I, if you're honest, right? Because he just is. But that's where we have to be on guard and stick to our text, stick to the scripture, and meditate on those things there. The answers are there for all. Uh, Polly, and then we had Ward. Paul's comment made me realize something in the picture that he painted. So if, we, if you go to a carnival, you have different vendors there that are all selling their different whatever. And so it's interesting that these two words are mentioned, Epicurean and Stoics, because they're two different philosophies. They are, well, let's go back to the carnival. So everybody's selling their product, and they're not, in, they're not at war with each other. They're just all selling which, you know, which, Let's just say, which poison do you want to buy? We're all selling poison. We don't care which one you buy. Yeah. Come, come to some vendor and buy it. But here we have somebody walking in because the Epicureans and the Stoics have two op oppositions of thought. Yes. One, allow women to come in and study with us. Stoics do not. But they're not at war with each other. They don't have any... They're just different school of thoughts and they respect each other's different school of thought. But yet... Here comes Paul with his message, and now suddenly it's not okay. It's not okay to have this message come in to all of us that are selling our message, promoting our message. Why is it that his message gets the attention that we don't want you here today? Yeah, and, and one thing I did read was, thank you, Polly, was once in, uh, with the one group, it's like, ah, another God that we have to hate and not pay attention to, you, you know, that type of thought process. And in, in some ways, maybe you hear that from the atheists in some ways. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know all that, that in depth. I just try to stick to what the scripture says. And then I think that that's the best way to go about our, our scriptures is just that. If we're focused on what is genuine, if you accept this as true, all truth, then use that as a gauge. Don't jump over to whatever the are doing, whatever the philosopher's doing, to try to see how, if you stick with the truth, those things will pop up, right? That whole idea, know, you, know the real money before you're given the counterfeit. If you know the real, then you don't, you'll recognize that counterfeit real quick. And the th interesting thing about that, what's your focus on, the counterfeit or... What is genuine is true. 
And that can be a drag. I might be simplifying that, but ultimately you can ultimately be focusing on that which is not, and you're not spending time on the genuine. Right? Because if you're not doing that, then that's a pitfall, and it might seem good, but it's not. Uh, Ward. Um, I'm looking at the Thayer Dictionary uh, for this Greek word that's translated idols. It's katedolos, uh, which means over against opposite. But it references the root word, which is kata, and that word means the way downward, to be pushed down, to be weighed down, to be oppressed. And I think what Paul was seeing when he saw these idols with the, this system that was imposed on the people by these false gods was an oppressive system that had weighed down and was oppressing the people. And he knew that he had the message that now the straight path was opened, the, the way out was available where they could get out of this oppressive system with these false gods and come back the way had been opened by Yeshua for them to have a path back to Yahweh. And that's what he wanted to tell the people. Yes. Awesome. Well, I, I'm looking at the time, and we'll have to get back to this next week, if you don't mind. Um, let me close in prayer, and then... Uh, Next week we'll, we'll start. Next week we'll start on verse 19. Okay, Father Yahweh, great and mighty you are. There is none like you, Father. You are truth. Your words have been proven, Father. Help us to be aware in this walk with you. Empower us with your Spirit to to continually know to really, truly know what is right and what is wrong. Father, your words are that boundary for us. Help us to guard them diligently as you've asked. Father, we thank you for the redemption we find in your Son, your very words that became flesh and has given us this example to follow after. Father, thank you for that love that you've shown us. And be with us. Amen. Shabbat Shalom, everyone, and those online, thanks for joining us.